Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Matt Green. Matt has led sales and operations for multiple hyper-growth venture-backed tech companies. In these roles, he oversaw personnel management, strategic planning, and sales leadership in multiple markets across the U.S., Matt now helps run the first and only scale as a service platform for the country's most exciting B2B tech companies. Matt says he's a pretty good husband and an even better father. He's an international travel enthusiast. And if there was a Simpsons quoting competition, he would no doubtably place in the top three. Welcome to Revenue Rehab. Matt, your session begins now. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. As I say, as a travel enthusiast, it is so appropriate that you've got a world map behind you. So tell me, as I say, I probably wouldn't call myself an enthusiast, but I definitely am a traveler. What's your favorite destination? Ooh, uh, great question. My Wife and son and I, we all mutually agree that Jordan is probably the most fascinating place that, that we've ever been. Great food, great people, great culture, great experience. So that would be at the top of my list. Awesome. So I'm going to have to now add that to my list. Uh, <laughs> I am just getting back from Costa Rica not long ago, which is country number 19 for me. Um, and so I am trying to get to 100 countries. So I'm gonna have to put Jordan uh, top of the list based on your family's recommendation. I love uh, it. But I like to start us off with a little woosah moment I call buzzword banishment. So tell me what buzzword would you like to get rid of forever? I if not forever, at least for a little while, ChatGPT, mainly because <laughs> it is everywhere and I understand the value, it's exciting. AI is gonna be extremely useful, will continue to be extremely useful, but I cannot pull up not only LinkedIn, but just my web browser in general without seeing ChatGPT reference somewhere enough already. It is definitely the hot thing right now. And I can say I am totally enamored and probably talk about it at least 10 times a day. So I will try to set that aside, at least for our conversation right now. Can't make any promises beyond that. Fair enough. <laughs> well, now that we've gotten that off our chest, tell me what brings you to Revenue Rehab today? Yeah, what brings me here today is we were fortunate enough here at Sales Assembly to work with a few hundred um, B2B software companies, leaders and teams of, of uh, the, the go-to-market organization. And what brings us here is we're seeing a pretty significant gap in um, leaders providing their teams, specifically their sales teams, with the tools, the resources, the competencies they need 
in order to number one, separate themselves from the competition today, which is becoming an, an ever more urgent thing that these sales organizations need to do. And more importantly, start building and fostering more and more human to human connections and really pivot from going to a uh, purely COVID virtual sales environment into one where to an extent business is getting done in person, right? You know, leaders are prompting their sales teams to go out and do more things in person, but at the same time, not necessarily equipping their sales teams with the skills and the competencies to do so. Okay. Um, this re really interesting take, and, and there's lots of places that I want to dive in there. But before I do, I believe in setting intentions. It gives us focus. It gives us purpose. And most important, it gives our audience an expectation of what they will learn or, or gain from our conversation today. So what would you like to be different after our session or what's your best intention? My best intention would be hopefully what I, people will take away from today is at least a little bit of direction in ways that they're going to be able, especially if you're a seller, ways that you're going to be able to improve yourself, improve your capabilities to transition into much more of a relationship-based sales motion versus a transactional-based sales motion. And if you're a leader, maybe some insight into some team, or I'm sorry, some things that your teams are struggling with right now, but might not necessarily be telling you. That they're struggling with. Okay. Um, and just to level set, because uh, there are so many different industry terms, can you define for me what is relationship selling? Yeah, relationship selling is sort of indicative by the name. It's really, number one, it is a focus on building and fostering meaningful relationships with not only your prospects in order to, of course, affect an initial sale, but then there are second order effects. How do you maintain and foster a relationship with an existing client in order to generate future sales, either expansion opportunities within that company or perhaps gaining and leveraging referrals from that, hopefully what is now a new champion. And that's really what we mean when we talk about relationship based sales. And as I alluded to at the top, a lot of this, there's a, a big priority in making sure that these types of things begin happening more and more in person rather than via Zoom or Teams or Google Meets, which is what we've all been accustomed to over the past few years. And what many sales reps, uh, at least right now, if they started their sales career over the past three or four years, they don't know anything other than 30 minute Zoom increments, which is a struggle for them. Okay. And so because, you know, someone who has been in this industry for couple decades now, uh, to me, when I hear that definition and, you know, I always do a little research just to see what the industry is talking about topics before I talk to a guest, everything that I've read, when I look at it, to me, I'm like, that's just sales. Um, and I do see that for someone who is new in their career, you know, especially starting post 2020, that this would be a bit of a new or foreign concept. But in general, how is this not just getting back to the fundamentals of what sales has always been? Is there a nuance that is different and new now? Yeah, I'd say it's less about a nuance. And I completely agree with you that the first time that, that we got wind of this problem amongst you know some companies that, that we work with, my reaction was very similar to yours. It's like, no, this is just basic stuff, right? This is sales. 
But when you think about it, um, if you started your sales career in 2018, 2019, maybe you're entry level, you're a business development representative. So you're not really at that level having a whole lot of actual face to face human to human interaction. But let's say that you perform well in that role and you get promoted into an account executive role in early 2020. Let's say that means that, you know, we're coming up on three, four five years. So you've been in sales for four five, six years, perhaps, but still have never really done what, you know, some of the uh, you've never really mastered some of the competencies or skills that you and I, we sort of take as table stakes. Right. Whether it is, you know, being able to hold a conversation for more than 30 minutes. Right. Or even if and I know it sounds weird, we've. Uh, overheard a lot of uh, leaders that are needing to coach their teams like, hey, if you're doing an in-person meeting and you're at the hotel in a different city where you're going to meet um, a, a prospective client um, and you pull up Uber, if your meeting's at 10 o'clock a.m. and you pull up Uber, it's like, great, you're going to get there at 9.55. That's too late, right? You, you know, you need to make sure that you get to the office building, you know, 15 minutes early. You need to account for check-in time. So again, all these things that you and I and people that have been in this industry for more than five plus years, we go like, oh, yeah, that's common sense. When you think about it, as weird as it might sound for a lot of these folks, they've never had that direct experience. And therefore, this whole paradigm is extremely new to them. Yeah, and I definitely see the deficit um, just, you know, because of my title, I am considered a hot prospect for a lot of sales teams. And so I get all the reach outs, whether it's BDRs or people following up um, and even just on the phone or on those 30 minute Zooms, I do see that it is a bit transactional of like, you know, we get on, we jump straight into what are you doing? What are your problems? Like, you know, how about hello? My name is, you know, at least exchange, you know, not everybody likes small talk, but at least a little bit of pleasantries before we try to get right to it. Um, so in thinking about the problem, uh, because I always like to lead with why should I care? What are businesses missing out on? Like what if, if we don't figure out how to solve this, how is this going to impact our organizations? Yeah, it, so what, what it seems like most, if not if the vast majority of companies are dealing with right now, and this began late Q2, early Q3 last year when the economic environment shifted is um, top of funnel, so to speak, becoming very light, right? It's becoming much more difficult to generate new demand for your product or service. And if you are able to generate new demand for your product or service, the sales cycles are taking a whole lot longer. And that's only gonna be exasperated, is already being exasperated right now by the rise of you know, I'm stepping on my own game here, you know, the term that should not be used, ChatGPT, you know, AI powered um, uh, platforms that are able to essentially uh, put together what, you know, most people would consider personalized outreach at scale, right? So number one, you know, when you, when you take a look at all this together, um, tougher to generate demand, deal cycles are taking longer and combined with both of those components, is you just have the space in general getting a whole lot noisier because everybody now has automated outreach at scale through the power of AI, right? So a decision maker like yourself, you're probably noticing just the pure increase in quantity of sales, you know, pitches coming your way. 
So what are companies going to be missing out on if they don't start investing in some of these more relationship-based components and arming their teams with these skills and competencies to start transacting business in person is less deals, slower sales cycles, less revenue. It's as simple as that. Okay. And do you feel that there is any variation in the need based on whether it's type of company, size of company, length of sales cycle? Um, I know I was reading one article and it talked about, you know, where things are more lower priced, more transactional, you know, you'll, you're more comfortable just buying based on, you know, your own research. But if I'm spending, you know, lots of money and, and depending on how much, you know, how you define lots of money, that that relationship becomes more important. So is there any, you know, sales or marketing leader that or revenue leader that is like, or, or that you'd say like, no, this is really not a thing for you? Yeah, I, uh, short answer is yes. I think that that's a great point. If you're in a very transactional sales environment, maybe it's just pure inbound and people buying large customers, they could buy on your website and maybe a, once in a blue moon, they want to talk to a sales professional. Yeah, this isn't necessarily going to be as relevant. But if you are selling a, a product at, you know, call it a $20,000, $30,000 price point or above, you know, maybe you're dealing with a 60, 90 day sales cycle, three or four calls throughout that 60, 90 days in order to affect that sale. That's when what we're talking about now becomes a little bit more relevant, right? Because that's when it's going to be even more imperative to separate yourself as a sales professional from all the other noise in the space. Okay. So now I want to shift gears and start to dig into some of your tips. Um, I want to start with some of the tips and recommendations. And then towards the end, I'll jump into some of my uh, kind of red flags and pushback so that we can talk about those things as well. So if I am someone that is leading the sales organization, you know, at whatever level, whether that's BDRs, true account managers, you know, customer success that carries a number for renewals, um, any of those, any of, you know, those leaders, what's your advice? If I see that my team is not skilled in, you know, relationship selling and building those relationships and going beyond the 30 minute Zooms, how do we go from the transactions to trust? Yeah, I think um, first and foremost, it's just being cognizant of the issue, which has taken some of the sales leaders a little while longer than, you know, than it probably should have for them to be, uh, for them to get to a point where they realize like, hey, this is actually something that's not just one rep or two reps. It is, you know, a, a, from a broader cross section of the team. But once you're cognizant of the issue and you decide, okay, well, we need to take some sort of action on it. What are my recommendations? A couple. Um, first of all, investing in skills training around things like storytelling. Right. Being able to hold a conversation with somebody for more than 30 minutes. And you mentioned this a few moments ago where you hop on a Zoom. It's like, all right, down to business. Or maybe if you're lucky, like, hey, where's the how's the weather where, where you're at? But, you know, you contrast a 30 minute Zoom with a 60 minute lunch with a prospect or a 90 minute happy hour with multiple prospects in the same room or maybe a two hour meeting in an office, in your prospect's office with multiple different stakeholders. Being able to actually build and foster and maintain 
interesting conversations for an extended period of time is going to be critical. That'd be one big recommendation. Another one, and I know that sales teams have invested in this type of training, um, you know, for, for years and years. I think it's become even more relevant now. Training on improv, right? You know, making sure that, that, that the sales folks on your team, again, that they're provided proper training of just how to react to different types of situations that are in this relatively unstructured environment outside of those 30-minute Zooms that we spoke about before. You know, if a leader wants to invest in just upskilling and training on two competencies, walking out of this conversation today, my opinion, storytelling and improv would probably be the two at the top of the list. Very interesting. So it's so funny that you bring up improv um, because I had a, a friend, former colleague, um, who shared on LinkedIn about starting a new company and one of the first trainings that she went through, like not all your typical like corporate policy was an improv training. Like they actually brought in, you know, someone from that field. And I was like, my first thought was that's such an odd, like, you know, she said it was fun, but she's like, I don't know how this is relevant. And as you say that, I'm like, you are right. Because even in, you know, a consulting role, which is not as much sales, there is a lot of improv that happens that you don't really think about it as improv. Like you almost think about improv, like that's a comedy, we go to a show, but that really is a skill set. Um, and we do hear a lot about storytelling as a skill. Um, so I do, I, I see that one very commonly coming up a lot more of recognizing that, you know, whether you're face-to-face -face or on a 30-minute Zoom, people see themselves in the stories and that makes them want to buy more so than like features functionality. Um, and I know I have people that I've talked to years ago who I'll run into and they remember stories that I've told. They're like, I don't remember what that thing was called, but remember you said, you know, the old Navy story or the, this, like I have some, you know, stories that I, I tell quite frequently and it really does help move things along, um, in the sales process. So I think that that is really great advice. Um, any other tips before I shift gears? Um, no, I would just plus one on the storytelling. That is what people remember. And, you know, as weird as the analogy might sound when it comes to improv training, it's all about building that muscle memory, so to speak, that's going to be useful for objection handling, something that you have to do every day, whether it's on Zoom or, or in person. Um, I, you know, I, again, it might sound like a weird analogy, but I know that a lot of really high performing football teams, what do they invest in on behalf of their uh, players? Ballet training, right? Which sounds weirder, but it's, you know, like, what, well, why, why should, you know, football players learn, learn ballet training? It's, it's because of the, the movements, right? You know, the small movements, again, building that muscle memory, which is going to make them more effective on the field, which might not look anything like ballet, just like sales might not look anything like a comedy show. But it's the skills, the competencies, the muscle memory that you're building about how to handle certain situations that are going to make you more effective. Yeah, and that's a great analogy because you think about some of those catches where they get the two toes down, barely, yeah. you know, in bounds, and it is very much that same kind of uh, toe posture of a ballerina. So uh, that that's a good good correlation. 
Um, so I want I want to dive into where I see some of the challenges because there's a lot of times we hear about concepts and things like this, and you know the thought is that sounds great in theory, and that's followed by but and then a list of things. And so I want to talk about the buts, uh, and the most obvious one to me is cost. Uh, you know we are all in a situation where we're asked to do more with less um, resources, you know, whether that be headcount, so you've got people that are covering wider territories or just general budget, you know, for spend. You know, I can think about early on, like salespeople had, you know, these unholy budgets for how to, you know, that they could entertain clients and, and things like that for building relationships. And one of the, um, and I always hate to use like, blessing related to a pandemic. But one of the blessings that came out of the pandemic was those costs were able to be reduced drastically because the virtual interactions became the norm and became acceptable. So in trying to reverse that, uh, especially when budgets are, you know, way tighter um, and perceptions of the spend has changed, how do you go into this focus of getting more in person, knowing that that also comes with a higher cost between entertaining, travel, all those things? Yeah, you know, that, that's a really important question. And like any other type of spend decision that leaders might be evaluating right now, you really just want to be able to find a way to look back at the ROI, right? Is, is there quantifiable ROI attached to this? And the great thing about all things related to sales is that if it's something to do with your sales team, you know, usually that ROI, you're going to be able to find a way to make that clear as day, whether it's working or not working, because sales by nature is very transparent, right? So if you want to really do a deep dive and determine like, okay, is in-person going to be worth it? Maybe start with just some minor A-B testing, right? You know, have some portion of your sales team, have them start doing more and more in-person meetings and have others just stick with virtual and then take a look over the next, you know, two to three quarters and look back and say, okay, what were our win, win rates? What was our sales cycle time? Take a look at all those metrics and see if it made a difference. Right. And then if it did, then you as a leader are going to have confidence and saying like, okay, well, this is a strategy that not only works um, is worth doubling down on, so to speak, and therefore is probably worth an investing in additional training and competencies for the team to do this more effectively. Okay. And I know during the pandemic, uh, a lot of effort was made to attempt some of the relationship building virtually. I know I personally attended some online wine tastings and cocktail making and paint and sip and, you know, just different things to bring that same connection. And so in this, you know, move to take more of a relationship sales approach, do you still see a place for those virtual opportunities for relationship building? Or do you feel like it's kind of an all or nothing that we got to really shift to getting in front of people? Yeah, I, so it, by nature, I'm not a big believer in binary. It's either this or that black or white. You know, I do think that like anything else in life, the, the truth and the reality is going to lie sort of within some level of shade of gray. 
um, long-winded way of answering your question, which I do believe that virtual is still going to have a component. You know, it doesn't make fiscal sense, let's say, to start doing in-person meetings at the very tippy top of the funnel, right? That's one thing that, that we know that a lot of companies are evaluating right now is, okay, if we're going to start doing some in-person meetings, at what point in the sales process does it make the most sense to do those meetings, right? Is it after qualification discovery first meeting, then we do an in-person meeting? Or is it earlier on in the sales process? Is it only right towards the tail end once we believe that we might be getting close to signature? Um, and in between all those different areas, depending on what, depending on how you determine what is going to be most effective for the sales organization, of course, everything else is going to be virtual in nature because you, you can still build a relationship virtually. We've been doing it effectively over the past couple of years. But, you know, the headline here is like, OK, how am I going to separate myself from the competition and get a leg up in an extremely crowded space when budgets are tighter, decisions are taking longer? How am I going to put my team in the best position to affect a sale and drive revenue for the company? Yeah, and I think that's a key consideration is not necessarily that we're going to just go back to the way things used to be. But taking some of the value and lessons from what is traditional sales and identifying where that tactic should be deployed in the process, um, because you're right, it could be something that for certain type of accounts or at a certain stage in the process, that that's where you pull that lever to say, yeah, it's worth it for the time, the expense, et cetera. Um, but in these other scenarios, here's what we're going to do. Exactly. Um, so the other big one uh, that I want to ask about, um, because this is something that is passionate for me and may or may not be something that you've thought of on this, but it's bias and discrimination. So if I look at some of the, the feedback that has come out of what's happened with things going virtual as a result of COVID, you have a lot of populations, you know, women, minorities, the LGBTQ community, um, those with physical limitations and disabilities, um, mothers, which, you know, falls under women, but kind of a different slice of women um, that found that in sales roles previously, you know, I can remember I took golf lessons because growing up, you know, going to school, wanting to be in business, that was like, Deals are made on the golf course. You got to learn how to play golf, whether you like it or not. Like, if you you know want to be successful, you got to be able to you know hang with the boys, so to speak. Yeah. And so a push, and you know we saw this in companies going back into the office. Lots of feedback and pushback from some of those marginalized communities. How do you feel like this relationship approach impacts those populations? And how do we not make it a hindrance? Because I do agree, the relationships are important, but how do we not put those groups at a disadvantage as we start to push more for in-person and more you know, relationships that are giving of who you are as an individual? Yeah, that's a really important question. Um, I, you know, I wish that I had sort of a silver bullet answer, so to speak. Uh, the one thing that I would say is that going back to my comment a moment ago about how nothing in life is binary, right? Black and white, everything is in shades of gray. 
there is still and there will still continue to be ways to build and foster those meaningful relationships virtually, right? To make sure that folks, um, whether they are working mothers um, or people that are at some type of disadvantage, underrepresented community, the net result of which is they might not have the flexibility, the opportunity to get on the plane and travel, right? To, you know, to, to meet with, with clients or, or prospects. As mentioned before, there are still going to be many opportunities throughout the sales process to build and maintain a true relationship virtually. You know, when we talked about the competencies that we wanted to train on before, you could tell really great stories virtually, right? You know, the improv that, that you theoretically would start training on, that would allow you to have, you know, more creative and more meaningful conversations and, you know, be able to handle objections in a more effective manner virtually. So these are all things when we talk about just the broader scope of building relationships, you know, not necessarily has to be done in person. So again, I think it's going to be even more important for leaders to make these types of investments, equitable investments in their team, right? To make sure that they have the skills and competencies in order to do this, whether it's in person or not. Awesome. Yeah. And that is a, a really good perspective because I do think that, just as a term, relationship sales does lean really heavy to pointing out the in-person, um, but it's it's less about where things happen and more that they happen. So that the relationship building and that sort of effort is happening. You know, one of the things I, I was told very early in my career is people buy from people they know, like, and trust. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so whether you're B2B, B2B to C, you know, all the different letters, uh, you know, that human to human and, and having some trust factor, you know, I've seen clients follow people from company to company because they like that relationship. And, you know, we see that on the other end, clients change jobs and now their new job is a client because they love working with us. Yeah. Um, so the, the last thing that I want to ask you about is thinking about the relationship more holistically. So I know prospects is like the obvious place. Like that's, you know, people want to drive net new. Um, and I know that you also mentioned relationship sales as it comes to customers. And so I have a question for you related to customers. And then I also want to throw partners into the mix because that's a place where, I feel like relationship selling could go a long way that does not seem to happen today. So I'm going to start selfishly, you know, as a partner, um, love to hear your opinion, but I know that is probably my biggest complaint um, as we work with different, whether it's tech companies or other consultancies, it's like, unless it's a lead exchange of I'm giving you some leads or you're, you know, giving me some leads there does not seem to be that value in the relationship. And so I'd love to hear your perspective on where you see partners in the mix of relationship sales. Yeah, that, that's that's a really interesting question. I, I could be wrong on this and I'd love your thoughts. You, when I look at one of the byproducts over the past few years, it seems like this focus or emphasis, I should say, on building more and more channel and partnership sales, you know, building this infrastructure within companies, um, it's all relatively new and nascent, 
right? You know, it seemed like beginning in 2020 and into 2021, that's when a lot of companies all at the same time looked around and said like, oh, wow, we should really start investing in channel sales, in partner sales. So um, again, I, I'd love your feedback on this. Do you think that maybe the, the lack of relationship-based sales or, or the focus on building and fostering meaningful relationships with partners do you see that as something that is a byproduct of the fact that people haven't been doing it for very long and all they know is just lead exchange, right? Because like, hey, let's set up this partner channel and you know, let's, you know, let's get Matt on the phone and let's see if we swap leads and that's it. And it goes well during the past few years until it doesn't start going well. Yeah, and I think um, I, I do agree there. And I do what I see is it is very transactional. Um, and for some partnerships, that transactional nature works really well. Like there are some alignments where there's definitely, you know, clear ways to pass leads back and forth. Um, and so I, not saying that there is no place for it, because I do think there is. I think the untapped place in the role of relationship sales, and I just, you know, even looking at my own influence, there are different things that I am talking to clients about pretty much daily. Like I talked to a client today. She's got a Marketo renewal coming up. She asked me, should I be considering this renewal or do we need to move? Is Marketo nurturing me at all? Yeah. No, because, you know, we don't have that transactional relationship. And I, and I don't mean to call them out. That's just a, a you know, recent conversation. But there are a lot of partnerships that are extremely influential where the partner carries that trust and relationship that can be extended, especially in the technology space. But even in, you know, we've referred people to other agencies or consultancies that do different things like all of these things. It just for me, it feels like in relationship sales. And even as I was doing my research, I came up with nothing that was talking about the partnership aspect and actually building and nurturing relationships with, I mean, you think about it, it's like influencer marketing, yeah. but we're not on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's one of those things that I just am always a little baffled that it's like, why is no one thinking about this? Like, why are you not asking prospects who they work with? or, you know, or customers for that matter. Um, because yeah, there are a lot of opportunities where you get insight that you never have before to acquire or retain customers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. No, I, um, I, you know, I've been on both the, I, I've been in situations where to your point that you made a moment ago, just as far as why is, you know, Marquette, why are they not just nurturing you? I've been in countless situations where I've won deals versus a competitor that was re referred by a partner, mainly just due to my level of responsiveness. You know, the fact that the partner thought like, hey, you know, Matt's a really good guy. And he, you know, he likes to be helpful, right? So again, to the larger point, it is kind of those intangibles that I would agree a lot of folks in the partnership space might be missing the boat on right now. Yeah. So there's something to add into your sales curriculum yeah. is how to effectively work with your partner channel beyond leads and referrals. Um, 
But um, so my last question goes back to the customer marketing or customer relationship building. Um, so a lot of companies have customer success or some other role that serves that function with a different title. And so their expectation is a bit more of the relationship. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, do you see the same deficiencies when it comes to relationship sales on the customer side? Or do you feel like, you know, most companies kind of have that groove going a bit better? I think that they have the groove going a bit better. I do think, and coincidentally, I was doing a, a training for, for one of our companies today. Um, there's still an area of opportunity for, and, and I know that there's a lot of talk about handoff and sales and CS alignment and all that good stuff. There still is a big opportunity for sales to lean in, having built and developed this really fantastic relationship on the front end, built a significant level of trust. And then unfortunately, what we see a lot of salespeople do is contract sign, hey, LOL, great, nice knowing you, go talk to CS, and then they never hear from them again. That's where I think, you know, there's a huge opportunity for salespeople to build out a cadence of structure to lean back in periodically with this, you know, with this relationship that they spent three, six, nine, maybe sometimes if it's an enterprise sale, 12 to 18 months investing in and fostering and building that level of credibility to help the CS teams expand within the organization, capture more revenue, which is great for you know, great for everybody involved. I understand that then you start getting into conversations around, okay, well, how are people compensated and what are the levers that you can pull and carrots and sticks? But I still think that right now with, again, top of funnel being light and for a lot of companies, expansion revenue being like the, the name of the game, like, oh my God, if we're not getting new logos, we really got to squeeze every dollar as possible out of our existing clients. That's where there's also going to be a good area of opportunity for salespeople to lean in and help generate some of that additional revenue. Yeah. And I do, I won't, I won't dive into the comp conversation, but that, that is always what I see is that the sales team is not comped on anything beyond the initial sale. And that's why they very much wash their hands of it. Um, Cause if there's no other role that's money motivated, it's definitely sales. So yeah. there's not dollar tied to it, then, you know, they have no interest in it. Um, but talking about our challenges is just the first step and nothing changes if nothing changes. And so in traditional therapy, the therapist gives the client some homework, but here at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us some homework. So for those that are listening uh, and this relationship sales approach and putting more eggs in that basket resonates with them, um, what is there, what is your one thing? What is the, the key takeaway or next step for someone who is looking to move the needle in the right direction? Yeah, I, I would say, and I, I spoke to it a few moments ago, start, start A-B testing within the organization. You know, maybe again, if your sales motion, if it, um, if it dictates it, if you think that it'd be a good idea to start testing out some of this in-person offer some of these in-person opportunities, pick a small segment of your team, make sure that they're armed with the competencies, again, like storytelling, improv, some of those things that we discussed before, and just test it out, right? And start tracking the data and determining whether or not this is going to make an impact and differentiate you 
from maybe some competitors that are trying to sell a very similar product into the exact same clients that you're trying to prospect into right now. Always love a good A-B test. And I do think trying that, you know, anytime that you're piloting or testing something in a controlled environment, it usually is a whole lot easier to do and to get, you know, some buy-in to, to try things out. So I love that as an action item. Um, and Matt, I have enjoyed our discussion, but that's our time for today. Um, but before we go, how can our audience connect with you? Uh, I'd love for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm extremely online on that platform. So feel free to connect with me there. Our website is salesassembly.com. And we are just by pure coincidence hosting our own uh, live podcast on May 18th. Uh, so would love to have folks involved there and, you know, hear myself and some other sales leaders across the ecosystem providing what we like to think are going to be some best practices and some tips for both individual contributors and leaders as we head deeper into Q2. Awesome. That's really, really exciting. Um, so lots of luck uh, and, and positive energy as you guys launch that. We will definitely make sure to link to your LinkedIn and the Sales Assembly website in the show notes. So wherever you are listening or watching this podcast, uh, those links so that you can plug in to Matt will be there as well. Uh, well, thanks so much for joining me, Matt. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And thanks everyone for joining us today. I hope that you have enjoyed my conversation with Matt. I can't believe we're at the end. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.